Okay, we're in the middle of a series called Things You Should Know About God. So I want you to take out your phones. Everybody take out your phone if you have one. Take out your phone. You should silence it. Uh, that's not why I had you turn it on, uh, take it out, but that's what you should do. We're going we're gonna to have a little experiment this morning, okay? Uh, it involves prizes, all right? So first one who shouts out the answer gets a prize. We clear? Everybody clear? So today's message is about God's not as far away as he sometimes seems. We're going to connect this in just a second, but if you're ready, you need to look this up, this item. So maybe you need to go to Google or wherever you're going to do this, you know, DuckDuckGo or whatever your search engine is, and you get there right now. Miriam, you have a chance. Elise, you have a chance at this. In fact, um, just give them a prize uh, because they're my people. All right, so you ready? Three questions. We're going to do one at a time. Um, Everybody know what we're doing? We're looking up answers. Ready? All right, here we go. Oh, it's not working. All right, let's try this. What is the capital of Liechtenstein? You can't do it because you knew the questions ahead of time. Somebody yell out. Whoever gets... What? Vaduz. That's right. Who said that? Vlad. Now, Vlad, did you see the question early? He's in the booth. What do y'all think? I think he cheated, but he's an elder. Give it to him. All right, so thank you, Vlad. Thank you. Vaduz is the answer. All right, now you know how it goes, right? Second question. No, no, no hurry, Dwayne. Just could you hurry up? Uh, good grief. Have you seen anybody move slower than Dwayne? Okay, here we go. What year did the Hundred Years' War begin? What year did the Hundred Years' War begin? If somebody in the booth gets this, we are not giving you a prize. Sorry. Who said it first? You did? Marina. What was it? That is correct. 1337. Marina. All right. One more. You got one more shot. Uh, what was the last question? Let me think. Oh, yeah, this is good. Uh, how old is President Jimmy Carter? How old is President Jimmy Carter? It's 96. Uh, did you, is that true? Did you just guess? <laughs> Dwayne, you win. Uh, you win. Okay, it's good. It's good. Dwayne, and I, these people, I think, cheated. I'm pretty sure Dwayne didn't cheat. So good for you, Dwayne. Okay, all right. We have access to immediate answers at our fingertips. Those answers took, what, six or five, five or six seconds to, you could look it up. Every answer was really, really fast. And we live in an age where we sort of expect God's answers to our questions to be that fast. And sometimes he doesn't answer at our pace. In fact, nowhere in Scripture does it say God is required to answer our questions in our timing. And sometimes we feel as if we're praying and we get nothing. Like the prayers don't get past the ceiling. I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but I felt that way. And it's really important for us to understand, by the way, this is our sermon title, God's not as far away as he sometimes seems. It's good for us to understand that he's real no matter how I feel. I can feel as if he's not close. That doesn't make him not close. 
there's this teaching out there, and it's been around for a while, and it's kind of prominent today. And the, the teaching is, once you come to Christ, everything is going to go your way. You're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. No problems. Every problem you've ever had will be solved. It will all go your way. You come to Jesus, and it all gets settled for you. The, pro the problem with the teaching is Jesus never promises that. It's not a promise God ever made. In fact, Jesus said this. He said, I've told you these things. By the way, the, these things he's talking about here, Jesus has just told his disciples, hey guys, by the way, I'm going to be crucified and you guys are going to get uh, really in trouble and people aren't going to like you very much and you might get beaten and it's going to happen and it's really not going to be good. These things I've told you, he said, so that you may have peace. I'm giving you preemptive warning, Jesus is saying. There's some things that aren't going to go your way. And then he said, in this world you will have trouble. No ambiguity at all. Clear as it can be. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. See, when people tell you that Jesus will solve all of your problems, that all of your problems will be taken away, that you'll never have difficulty... We call that false advertising. That is just false advertising. And I have some pictures of some false advertising. I like this one a lot. Um, that is some kind of a fruitcake. It has fruit, just not much. I like that picture. Um, if you could tell what that is, uh, that's not quite Santa uh, behind the picture there. Um, you had to study that one just a second. I looked at that, I'm like, well, what's the problem? It, but it's not strawberries, you see. And not quite as advertised. Not quite as advertised. Sometimes we don't get what's advertised. Jesus never promises that it's going to go your way. He does promise peace. It's not peace because every problem has gone away. It's peace in the midst of problems. In this world, he says, you will have trouble. He doesn't, he doesn't say anything other than that. And so for us to sort of speculate, oh, well... It's, it's always going to be our way, and we're not going to have any problems. Look, we, we ask God, we, we ask Him for His favor. I think it's fair to ask Him for His favor. But there are times when we don't get His favor. And it feels as if He's not very close. And part of the... <laughs> we live in this world like we have our phones, and we expect immediate answers, and it also works with relationships, all of my kids have a cell phone. My mom has a cell phone. She's 87. If I text my wife or my kids or my mother or my sisters, I expect them to respond immediately. And if they don't respond immediately, now I'm thinking, well, are they avoiding me? I mean, are they, you know, are they, are they screening my call? Or why are they not, why are they not responding? So I'll, I'll text again. Are, are you there? By the time they get to that text, uh, they have 38 texts from me that I'll say, hey, why are you not responding right away? And so we transpose that sort of ideology, that thinking, into our relationship with God. And we think if God doesn't answer right away, we kind of mutter under our breath, I can't believe he's not answering right away. And here's the untruth of the matter. The untruth is... We, we sort of think God is somehow required to respond immediately. And nowhere in Scripture, not one place, does it say God is required to work on my time frame. I wish He would. Um, I, I really wish He would do what I ask Him to do. Uh, it doesn't always work that way. In fact, let me show you a text, and this is typical of texts in Scripture. 
And I highlighted be still because that's the toughest thing in the world. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. And we are just really not good at this. We, we hear it and we see it and we think, well, okay, that applied a long time ago, but everything is fast now, so God ought to get with the program. And why isn't he fast now? And it's just, he isn't required to be fast. It's his world, and he works at the pace he wants to work at. If he would just respond immediately, you know, that, that would be nice, but that's not how it works. And so we get our feelings hurt. And we live in a society that's ever-growing and ever-telling us that it's all about how you feel. But the Bible tells us that our feelings can be deceptive. In fact, one of my favorite verses, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. So I might feel as if God isn't close, but our feelings can be incorrect. Sometimes I just don't think right. I don't feel right. I, I don't respond right. And so God is working on his own timing. And, and all relationships have ups and downs. I've been married over 30 years, and we love each other, but we understand on occasion we're not quite in sync. She feels it, I feel it. She knows it, I know it. We, we're not, that doesn't scare us. We know that those are just little seasons. They don't last long, but everybody has those seasons in life. Most of the time, our relationship is, you know, baked potato with all the trimmings. Sour cream, butter, little bacon bits, which make everything better. Chive, you can throw it all on there. Most of the time, that's what our relationship looks like. But some days, it's tater tots. We have a tater tot relationship some days. I mean, you know, it's, it's okay. It's not as good, but it's okay. And sometimes our relationship with God, it's, it's loaded baked potato, and sometimes it's tater tots. And you just have to understand, that's kind of how it is. And it's not as if this is new for us. I hope, I, I, I'm afraid I might have said, okay, well now because we're moderns and we have this modern idea of things and things are much quicker now. Look, this has been going on for, <laughs> for millennia. David writes about it. In fact, the, there, there are kind of, there's expressions around this, like, ideas around what this looks like uh, some people call it the winter of the hearts um, there's a guy named henry nowen who i really really like and he calls it the ministry of absence there's a dude by the name of um, john saint john of the cross he calls it the dark night of the soul saint john of the cross is that a cool name or what i like to be known as saint joseph of the cinnamon roll uh but uh, uh saint john of the cross this guy lived in a time where the where the bubonic plague was 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 rampant and he, he was quite wealthy and he gave all his wealth away and he took a, a vow of, po of poverty and he went and served people who were sick even though back then there were no vaccines and there was no masking and all that kind of stuff he just went and worked with people who were sick he died uh, he, in fact he got in trouble for that he was imprisoned and in this prison cell with no windows he writes about the dark night of the soul he died at age 49, the dark night of the soul. And you read about these sorts of things with, with some measure of, um, it just happens a lot. Uh, the, these things happen. People have these experiences. We're not the first. And we see it with David. I mean, we talk about the lamenting psalms 
60-something percent of the Psalms are laments. Like, why are you doing these things? And, and David will write things like, oh, Lord, why do you stand so far away? I love his honesty. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. You can be honest with God. Why are you so far away? Why do you hide when I'm in trouble? He, he writes this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus quotes this psalm on the cross. Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. I mean, David is just brutally honest. So, it's kind of a misery loves company uh, approach to things. If you have ever felt like that, or maybe you're feeling like that today, God is just not there, or he's not listening. Why won't he pick up the phone? Why won't he text me back? Maybe that's the way you're thinking today. Just understand something. You're not the first to struggle. You're not the first, and you won't be the last. And so, if misery loves company, and we need to know that we're not the first to ever experience this, it's like the lady who, uh, she went to work, and she's sneezing, and she's, she says, I've got these horrible allergies, and, and so her coworker knows she has lots of pets, and she said, well, if you have all these allergies, why do you have all these pets? And she said, well, if I'm going to be miserable, I want company. And so, uh, we, we have to understand, okay, we're not the first. We won't be the last. So what do we do when God seems really, really far off? I'm glad you asked. We're going to look at three things today. Number one, we have to understand silence is not absence. Silence is not absence. Again, let me go back to David just for a second. Look at this psalm. Is there any place I can go to be out of your sight? If I climb to the sky, you're there. If I go underground, you're there. If I flew on morning's wings to the far western horizon, you'd find me in a minute. Then I said to myself, oh, he even sees me in the dark. At night, I'm immersed in the light. And it's a fact, darkness isn't dark to you. Night and day, darkness and light, they're all the same to you. David was saying, there's just no way, nowhere I can go where God's not there. This is a picture of C.S. Lewis. Lewis was a great Christian thinker, one of the great Christian minds of the 20th century, really bright he became a follower of Jesus somewhat late in life, and then later he, he got married. And he writes, you probably know him for Chronicles of Narnia. He was this prolific writer. He wrote um, uh, just these great... <laughs> when you read um, C.S. Lewis, you have to really kind of be in the right frame of mind. For me, it's just so dense that every sentence is dripping with something that's important. And so Lewis got married late in life. His wife joy passed away from cancer only four years into their marriage and he fell into a deep deep depression he didn't quite know what to do and so what you do when you're a writer and you fall into depression is you write and so there's a book called a grief observed and it's sort of collection of these writings and this is the kind of thing lewis writes where is god when you're so happy that you have no sense of needing him, if you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face and the sound of bolting and a double bolting of the inside. And after that, silence. And you may as well turn away. And the longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. 
What can this mean? Why is God so present in our time of prosperity and so very absence, absent uh, a help in time of trouble? Again, we talked about this two weeks ago. It is okay to be honest with God. He, he's big enough for, to, to take our criticism and our complaints. Lewis worked through this. Uh, he continued to pray. He continued to be a part of you know, a, a Christian community. He didn't give up on God. And later he writes this, I have gradually come to feel that the door is no longer shut and bolted. Was it my own frantic need that slammed it in my face? And then he makes this good analogy. The time was nothing at all in your soul except a cry for help. Maybe just the time when God can't give it. You're like a drowning man who can't be helped because he clutches and he grabs. You need it so badly he can't give it to you. Perhaps your own um, reiterated cries deafen you to the voice you hoped to hear. Remember what God says. Be still and know that I am God. Waiting is difficult. Slowing down is difficult. I'm reading a book, and we're actually studying a book. I've read this a couple of times called... Um, the ruthless elimination of hurry. I like this quote, the noise of the modern world makes us deaf to the voice of God, drowning out the one input we need the most. We are constantly hearing noise in our life. I don't know about you, but you get in the car and you turn on the radio. You uh, go home and you turn something on. The television is background noise. There's always noise. And because it's always noisy, we can't hear God speak. And I honestly believe that sometimes because, let me look at my next slide, because waiting is not our strongest suit, that he sometimes has to quiet us. You want to know when you pray the most is when you're really, really in trouble. So difficulty happens, it kind of recalibrates us toward God, it realigns us to, hey, God is there and I need to talk to him and I need to call out to him. Because in children's church, you know what they tell you the stories of? They hardly ever tell you the stories of unanswered prayer. They'll tell you the story of Abraham's servant, and Abraham said, hey, servant, go find a wife for my son. And he goes out and he prays, Lord, you know, help me find a wife for Abraham's son. And, and everything works out perfectly. And you, those are the stories you tell. They tell the stories of when Moses was at the Red Sea, and he parts there, he prays, and the Red Sea parts, and, and the Israelites cross through on dry land, and so the prayer was answered immediately. Those are the kind of stories you tell in children's church. Hannah prays for a son, and she gets Samuel, and it happens kind of immediately, and we hear those prayers. Now, Hannah prayed for a long time to get a son, but then God heard, and we tell those stories because God did what she asked, and Elijah has this big moment on Mount Carmel, and he calls down fire, and it is an amazing thing, and we all look at those stories, and those are the stories we tell back in children's church. The stories we don't often tell are when Moses is on Mount Nebo, and he begs God, God, let me go into the promised land, and God says no, and the answer to his prayer is no. We don't talk a lot about Paul who prayed. He had something called a thorn in the flesh. That's what it's called, a thorn in the flesh. And it's kind of a big, big debate as to what that was. Whatever it was, he asked God three times, he says, to take it away. And God says, my grace is sufficient for you. It's a no. Sometimes the answer is just no. Jesus prayed on the night he was betrayed. He said, God if it be possible, take this cup of suffering from me. And God said no. It was an answer. It just wasn't the answer Jesus was looking for. 
we romanticize biblical stories to the point that sometimes we just don't tell the whole truth. Sometimes the answer is no, and sometimes the answer is wait. You have to wait. Even Abraham, when he asked for a son, waited years. Sometimes the answer is simply you get to wait. And in the waiting is when our relationship with God deepens. Because if I can trust God when he's not doing what I ask him to do, when God doesn't respond the way I hope he would, and I can still have faith, my faith grows. Let's just be honest do you really think that God couldn't take you out if he didn't want to? I mean, if God, God has access, he has resources, if God wanted to zap us, he has every opportunity and he has every ability. And yet, scriptures are full of texts like this. We memorize this one. Give all your worries and cares to God because God cares about you. And this one in Hebrews, I will never leave you or forsake you. That is the truth of scripture. He cares about us. That's the truth of Scripture. Now, sometimes it doesn't go the way we expect it to go. It's not always going to go our way, but understand something. Silence is not absence. He's there. He cares. He'll never leave us. He's with you, even when it seems as if he's far away. The second thing we have to understand is, Silence checks our trust level. We can grow during the silence. When I was a younger father, and my kids were much younger, they were learning to ride their bikes. Anybody that's ever taught a child how to ride a bike, you know how it goes. They get on their bike, and they ride with training wheels for a while. And they kind of are learning balance, but they've still got the little training wheels, and that helps them. And it's hard, hard, hard to turn that bike over if you have training wheels. You can do it if you really try hard, but you know, if you get on a hill, you can kind of flip it. But most of the time, riding a bike with training wheels is pretty easy. And then you say to your child, we said it to the girls, hey, are you ready to take the training wheels off? Oh, yes, Daddy, yes. It's like, okay. Take those training wheels off. And you know, every, every mom and dad that's ever done this knows how this goes. You hold, kind of hold the seat, and you hold the handlebar and you run along with them this is why i will never teach anybody else to ride a bike because i ain't running no more but anyway uh uh, you kind of run along with them right and then you let go for a second or two and then you might have to grab it back because they're you know and what's funny is uh, with my kids they would be riding along fine i'd take my hands off they'd ride along fine and then they'd notice my hands weren't on and they get wobbly you know they get kind of tense and sometimes it's like we feel like god has to keep his hands on the seat and on the handlebars. And God might take his hands off just a little bit just to see how we're doing. Just to see. How, how's it going to go for us? See, he uses difficulties in our lives because God is more concerned with our character than our comfort. I am into comfort. I always want comfort. If I have a choice, I choose comfort. God chooses character development over comfort for us. So, as a parent, sometimes you have to allow your kids to struggle a little bit because that is what's best for them. I read a really interesting article about a guy named Harold Wilkes. He became a pastor. Harold Wilkes was born without arms. And so, all of his life, he had no arms. And so, he learned how to... You see pictures, if you want to look him up, it's kind of cool. He's turning the Bible pages with his toes. And you've seen pictures like this, and you've seen folks like this. Well, 
Harold Wilkes tells a story in his biography about his mom, and one day when he was in preschool, he couldn't get his shirt on. Now, can you imagine trying to clothe yourself without arms? I mean, just think about it for a second. And he was struggling, and he was huffing, and he was puffing. He was really having a difficult time. And his mom was right there. And so one of the relatives of the family said, they said to his mom, Ida, why don't you help that boy? And he says, with clenched teeth, his mom said, I am helping him. Sometimes the struggle is where we learn. I learn much more from failure than I do success. I try things. <laughs> uh, sometimes I try things and I'm not successful, and then I learn. How do you learn things? You go to YouTube, right? You, you figure it out. And so, uh, you know, you cut through something and you're not supposed to cut through on a home building project. And then you go to YouTube and you figure out, well, I shouldn't have done that. And you, you fix it. I mean, most things are fixable. And sometimes you have to try some stuff. And God will let us experience some difficulty. As they say down at the gym, no pain, no gain. And by they, I mean not me. Uh, so other people say that. No pain, no gain. Look at what it says in James. It's a great text. Consider, <laughs> this is almost comical. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. Anybody, anybody that, are you there? Are you here? Uh, oh, look, a trial. <laughs> uh, joy is mine. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. That's God's goal for us, maturity and completeness, not lacking anything. He's more concerned with our character than our comfort, and he's preparing us because life is tough. And you have a trial today. It won't be your last trial, more than likely. You're going to have more difficulties coming up. Miriam and I have, we have some windows that we're putting into walls that don't have windows. So we're cutting the hole out of the wall. and So you have to kind of watch that uh, because if you cut, the wrong, you cut it wrong, the, the house falls in. You know, it's really kind of important to know what you're doing. And so now I've done two and I feel like I can do more because I've done it enough to figure it out and I made some mistakes and you make mistakes. Look, how are you ever going to learn how to do something if you don't try it? And God lets us try some things. And sometimes we have difficulty and he's preparing us for the future. God is helping us to understand. Maybe we're depending on other things other than Him. I know about a young lady, and for all of her life, she wanted to be married. In fact, she wanted to be a, a pastor's wife, which what women doesn't. Uh, you know, I'm pretty sure that's the uh, desire of all women. Uh, but she wanted to be a, a pastor's wife. That's kind of what's been her desire. And, and she got to be in her 30s and... She wasn't married, and she started to question God's will for her life and God's love for her. And she writes this, I realized I was trusting marriage and a husband to give my life meaning more than I was trusting God to do it himself. I had made marriage a litmus test of God's love for me. And so she confessed that, and she said, Lord, I am sorry. I know marriage isn't the litmus test, and you use me the way you want to. And she uh, eventually became sort of this international um, um, trainer. She was a, she's able to go and kind of almost because she's not married, she's able to do things that she couldn't do because she's married. God still has that desire in her heart, and she hopes that someday she'll get married. But for now, what she understood was this isn't everything. 
being married isn't everything. God has something different for me. My favorite marriage story is this. Uh, there's a lady and her husband is missing, and so she and her neighbor go to the police station and file a missing persons report, and the, the police officer says, what is he like? And she said, well, he's 6'3", dark, handsome. Um, he's great with the kids, kind of soft-spoken, athletic. And the police officer walks away, and the, the neighbor says, your husband's 5'3", bald, short, and really mean with the kids. And she said, yeah, but I'm hoping for an upgrade. Uh, so uh, uh, you... We, we understand that God doesn't always give us exactly what we want. Look at this text in Isaiah. Oh, I have it there twice. Um, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, uh, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. My thoughts, God thinks differently than us. He acts differently than us. And so the real question is, do I trust that God knows more about fixing this situation than I do? Do I trust that God knows more than I do. <laughs> All right, think about that just for a second. Do you? And do I? Because I know how things ought to go. I've got it all figured out. God, if he would just listen to me, would do it the way I say. But this God of the universe who keeps all the planets in alignment and keeps every star where it needs to be and the one who makes this ecosystem work and perfectly and there's rain and there's dryness and it just kind of all this system, these systems, he's able to make all of that work, all these moving parts he's able to make work and in your body you have all these moving parts that work simultaneously and perfectly together. You have all this, God knows all these things and yet you know more than he does. He's got all the parts moving. He's got the universe. He's got the ecosystem. He's got your body. He's got um, millions of bodies. He's he's causing all these things to function. And yet somehow you know more and I know more than he does. It's kind of ridiculous if you think about it. God knows what he's doing. And so when he seems far away, it challenges our level of trust and that's okay. And finally, third one today, silence forces us to get real, to be real honest. Job said, I must express my anguish, my bitter soul must complain. (laughs) And God is okay with that. He's all right if you complain. It's just, he's not going to be offended. The problem for Job was all these really bad things happen and he has no explanation and God doesn't bother to tell him why. He loses his wealth, he loses his health, he loses his family. His wife tells him, curse God and die. Thanks, honey. Thanks for that. Appreciate it. She might have been, no, I had a good insurance policy. I don't know, you know, who knows. Um, but she was suffering too. I mean, I think, I think all of, when, when bad things happen, we just want it to be over. And I think her advice was actually loving. Just be done with it. Or an attempt to be loving. And for 38 chapters in the book of Job, God says nothing. And he is silent. And in your life, you may be crying out to God, and you might be saying, God, I just need to hear you. Will you just say something? And there are times when it's going to, it's going to challenge your trust. And you just be honest. Lord, I'm just going to be honest here. I, I like what 
Solomon wrote, pour out your heart like water to the Lord. Just pour it out. Just, Lord, this is where I'm at. This is what I, I'm feeling. God is big enough to handle your grief and your fear and your anger. He'll just, he, just, he just understands. David put it this way. He said, I believe in you, so I said I am deeply troubled. I love that text. What he's saying is, Lord, I, I'm not like pushing my belief aside. I, I still believe. And, and not only do I believe, but I, I believe you'll listen. I believe you're listening. And so I'm going to complain. How, how long does God's silence last? Well, the snarky answer is it lasts as long as it lasts. There's really no guarantee. I love what the old farmer used to say, at the end of every drought, there's a rain. <laughs> yeah, that's how it works. At the end of every drought, there's a rain. Or as Yogi Berra said, it ain't over till it's over. Sometimes it ain't over till it's over. But it will eventually be over. And you can say, okay, well, I can deepen my relationship while we're going through this or not. And here's the question, really. Is my impatience God's fault? Is my impatience with God, is it really His fault that I'm impatient? It really isn't His fault. And if I really think He knows what He's doing, because time is relative, right? Uh, there's this verse in, in Peter that says, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. We think Things need to be done right away. God, not so much. And you all know that old story. Every parent who's ever had a child has experienced this. This little four-year-old boy's in the car with his mom, and they're driving somewhere, and he's constantly asking the question that every child asks, and that is, are we there yet? Now, you can take that question as a parent about 100 times, and at 101, you lose your mind. And so the mom said, Honey, we are 90 minutes away. Please do not ask me anymore. And a few minutes later, he said, Will I still be four when we get there? I mean, there, we, we, we are like this with God. God, are we there yet? We keep asking him, God, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Why hasn't this happened yet? There's a guy named Paul. He writes most of the New Testament. He was in trouble most of his ministry with people who didn't like him. Jews didn't like him because he preached that Jesus was the Messiah, and the Jewish people didn't believe that, and so they would attack him. Greeks didn't like him uh, a lot of times. The people who weren't Jewish didn't like him because he preached that there was only one God, and they didn't like that because they had lots of gods. And so Paul kind of got it from all angles. He if you read a biography of him, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, they would take rocks and try to kill him by stoning him with rocks. That happened a few times. I mean, can you imagine being hit, and, uh, hit with rocks so many times that you uh, nearly expire? I mean, there's one time, many people believe that Paul probably died. They drug him out of town, he was resuscitated, and he walks back into that same town. This is the guy who's able to write during all those difficulties and we know that in all things, and when Paul says all things, he really means difficulties. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Paul understood what it was like to have trouble. So there were some 
Jews in Cologne, Germany, and you know the Germans and the Jews didn't get along back before World War II and during World War II. In fact, the Germans would round up the Jews and put them in concentration camps. And if you've ever been to one of those concentration camps, it is dark there. We went to one, um, and it's almost... It's like when you walk on the property, you feel evil. It's just it's weird. It's a weird feel. And Jews were hiding, and they were trying to not be captured because they had heard if you go to the concentration camps, bad things happened. And there were some Jews, and they were being hidden. And they found their hiding place, and they wrote this on the wall. I believe in the sun even when it's not shining. I believe in love even when I don't feel it. And I believe in God even when he's silent. God's activity or inactivity doesn't change my belief in him. I, I wish he responded quickly every time. I wish I never had to wait for an answer. I wish he did it exactly the way I really don't. And you don't either. You really don't wish he'd do it exactly the way you say because you don't know everything. I mean, how many of us have looked back at our lives and God didn't do it the way we thought and uh, we should, he should, and we look back at it and we go, hmm, that was much better. You pray for a girlfriend and you don't get a girlfriend and then you marry somebody that you just love and it's like, well, if I had gotten a girlfriend then, I might not have had a marriage this way. God knows what he's doing got all the systems running he knows what he's doing father we thank you for the truth that you love us and that your love never changes and that we can give you all of our cares and our worries because you care for us thank you for that promise that is a promise and we accept it and we claim it today and i pray that as we leave this building and as we walk out today we will remember that you are in control and you know exactly what you're doing. We pray it humbly in Jesus' name. Amen.